Hello everyone, and welcome back to the newest episode of the Theater Enthusiast and Other Things podcast. I'm very excited about our next guest. I've known him since he was a freshman in college. But isn't it sad that's how... You were a freshman, yeah. right? Yeah, we're old now. God, you're old. I'm older than you are. <laughs> a few. All right, please. What is this? Please welcome Dominic LaRuffa. Did I say it right? Yeah, Yeah. Oh, they're going crazy for you. Yes. All right. And that's off. So, Dom, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Who else would I invite? Many other people, but it's fine. You have responded. No, I'm excited to have you on because, um, as I mentioned to you, you kind of, you do a little bit of everything. So for those of you who don't know, Dom is an actor. He's also a Broadway producer. Tony nominated. Yeah, you have to say it like that. Tony nominated. Tony nominated Broadway producer. You, the last thing produced was Betrayal, right? Betrayal. Let's have a conversation about that night and how gutted I was. Yeah, I feel the same way. That, no, it's just over, I didn't even care that you were there. It's just the fact I could have met Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he is as charming and well-spoken and good-looking and generous as you want him to be. Oh, God. It killed me so much. And I even said to Dom on Facebook, I'm like, you know, we might go back. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, Your response. Yeah, fine. he's awesome. Yeah, it's okay. Well, it's funny because my Carrie Bond and I, who has been on the podcast, guys, um, first guest, she and I were supposed to go on a different day, but then it ended up that she had to, like, work or travel for work, so we had to switch our tickets, and it ended up being Hal- no, Harold Pinter's birthday that mm, day. Yes. That, yeah. yeah, that's why we were all there tonight, because yeah. the cast and crew and a few of the producers got together at on the fourth floor of Sardis to have a little toast to... Pinter's birthday. It was actually one of the more unique and nice experiences I've had co-producing on Broadway, where everyone gets to actually be involved and be all there, be there together for a nice reason. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. We've only just started the podcast <laughs> this episode. So uh, Dom and I went to Pace together. Like I mentioned, he was a freshman when I was a senior. I was a transfer sophomore. Oh, sophomore. But I was basically with the freshman all the time because yeah. I was a transfer Well, you know sophomore. that Pasquale, Pasquale yeah. who I'm trying to get onto this podcast too if he ever responds to my Facebook message. Pasquale, do the podcast. That's my grandpa's name. Yeah, Pasquale. You're getting called out on this podcast. And I will even tell you that. He was in my show that I directed senior year. Very exciting. What show is it? How I Learned mm-hmm. to Drive. Oh, that's right. Which you is coming back I, to Broadway. I forget that you did that because when I saw it with uh, Norbert, Norbert mm-hmm. Leobutz and um, what's face? Elizabeth Reader. Uh, uh, right. Yeah. Um, I had went into it with more knowledge than I usually had, like more like in-depth knowledge of what this play could be because of how much your your show in college like, profoundly struck me. Yeah, I know. My show is fantastic. It really was. And considering it's, it's considering oh, yeah, it was college you. productions, you know, like, what are they? Like, guys, now, now thinking about it, it was really that good. Thanks, guys. I'm a really good director. <laughs> Thank you. I also, I think I Am I old enough to do it for real now? Um, How? no. Well, no. I don't think you auditioned for me. No, no. I mean, it, what is, what age is that? Is, well, um... it's, it's also kind of like a memory play, too. Yeah. So I think he has to be, like, in his 40s. Ah, okay. Well, something to look forward to. I mean, you're also younger than I am, so... I, uh, mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm 30 now. I'm falling apart. Oh, my God. You're 30. Yeah. Read between the lines. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just... Okay, so you went to Pace. So where did you start off? You said you were a transfer. Yeah, so I grew up I grew up here in the city. I grew up in Brooklyn. And it was my full intention to get as far away from here as possible. In retrospect, I have no idea why. But it was mostly important to me to not be an actor. Mm-hmm. So junior high, high school, whatever it was, I did theater and I did, you know, I did the plays, I did the musicals, but the same way I played sports, the same way I was in the scouts, I did those things 
because, I mean, yes, they, they gave me fulfillment and joy, but, like, you know, people clap for you and you made friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you met girls, you met guys you wanted to hang out with, you, but it was just, it was more of a environmentally social thing for me. It was more me. of, like, a hobby. Yes, and then around around senior year, it really started to click for me that this was much more than that, that this was something, because I kind of stopped, you know, really focusing on playing ball. I kind of, even to a certain degree, Hold like... Hold on. I'm not a sports person. When you say playing ball, do you mean baseball, uh, basketball, it was, you know, like sports in general, football. but for me, that was baseball. Okay. Um, I do enjoy baseball because I actually understand it. Why? What, what makes you understand it more than anything else? Because it's easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, is the, it is the intellectual sport. It is, you, yeah. know, you, you really have to think while you're playing. So anyway, yeah. uh, I kind of found myself being less and less distracted by things that weren't theater. Mm-hmm. And it basically terrified me because it was like, I don't want to be poor. Like, I'm already going into school knowing I'm going to be 100% on student loans. Which I do want to talk to you about because you posted something on Facebook, like, last month about... You getting recognized at a bar. Yeah, a bar that I worked at. Yeah, that, I thought I was like, holy shit. It's happened twice since. No, I honestly, I do want to talk to you about that at some point later on because I think it's so important for people to know what you wrote. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, 100%. So, sorry, continue. Uh, So I I didn't want to be poor. And for, according to my grandparents, I had great intellectual capacity. So why why not do something more with that that could actually, you know, allow me to provide for myself and have a family one day and all, you know, the... traditional nuclear family ideas that, you know, older people have for a younger generation. Uh, So I went to Boston. I only applied to schools in, like, the anti-New York. Which Boston school? Uh, I went to UMass Boston. Uh, It's funny because I applied for Suffolk University, and I got in. Yeah, I think I applied to Suffolk, too. Wouldn't it be funny if you got in? I think somebody else, I think maybe Carrie or someone on the podcast mentioned that they also applied for Suffolk. Yeah, so I went, so I remember... I don't remember all the schools, but basically I got into most of the schools I applied to, and they were all concentrated in Boston. So, you know, it was you both UMass's, Emerson, probably Suffolk, uh, BU, BC, all places that had, you know, granted big sports programs and stuff like that, but really strong theater programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, maybe I could, you know, just take a minor you know, mm-hmm. I could dabble in that, you know, and mm-hmm. something that would still be fulfilling. Yeah. But they had strong programs across the board. That was my goal is to, you know, be a lawyer. So mm-hmm. I went in. So my freshman year, I was like essentially on a, like a pre-law track, you know. Mm-hmm. I was majoring in poli-sci and, you know, taking a theater class or two on the side. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop myself from doing that the first semester because I was like, oh, man, you're only paying attention to your one or two theater classes and the rest of them are making you miserable and what are you doing? So I really, really stopped and I just focused on all the things that had to do with not being an actor. Mm-hmm. And a year into it, so, you know, let's call it end of April, beginning of May, whenever, you know, the first year of college ends, I don't know a time that I could think of in my childhood and I had some crazy things happen in my childhood that made me this that's sad. That's another podcast. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. That's another podcast. <laughs> so, uh, when, you, you... when you're an Oscar winning actor, you Yeah, we could back. talk about that. Well, uh, hold on. We'll talk about, <laughs> seriously. Oscar winning actor, we're, what is it? It's February 5th, 4.22 p.m. I'm claiming him now. Okay, thank you. I'll take it. Thank you. So, I looked, I looked at my phone to make sure you were confirmed on the time. Yeah, no, it's on my computer. <laughs> 420, and it's on my 
my microwave. So I was just like deeply sad. I mean, like not leaving my, I mean, as a freshman in college, like you're supposed to do anything but be home alone on a Thursday or Friday or Saturday night. And I was just so sad. And I really couldn't figure out what that was, what the reasoning was behind it because I wasn't particularly a sad person. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I kind of realized it was because I went a maybe six full months which at the time might as well have been six years without being on stage without reading for something without being in a rehearsal without you know since I'm 11 years old 11 12 years old my life was consumed with always getting to do some you know getting to do a play of some sort a play or musical theater in general and I kind of had this come to Jesus moment where I was like ah you know what I'm going home first of all because everywhere that New York is not New York I hate Mm -hmm. and let me audition for every major Meditation for every program that would possibly see me. And this was already May. This was already the beginning of May. So basically all the programs were filled. So I was looking at like waiting list spots, mm-hmm. right? And my friend who will probably listen to this because he is becoming a rather big deal in the theater now, Brandon Contreras, who also went to Pace, but we went to high school with. He was the most gifted, you know, musical theater kid in our high school. And I had no idea what school's going Yeah, I mean, yeah, Brandon and I are friends since we're 16. I love him. I yeah, texted I him, him the other day. I was like, hey, I'm free. It's <laughs> Sorry, he, I don't know he's if he's busy with life. Yeah, he's super, he's super busy and, and more also, famous like, than I am now. I just would like to say that he is like the loveliest human being. He's genuinely that nice. He's ge- and, you know, I'm, what's the word? I'm bitter and cynical in my old age. But you're just happy that good things happen to people like him. And you, of course, because you guys are just so nice. And I remember, I was going to bring this up later, but might as well talk about it now. So Dom and I did Dog Sees God, Confessions of a Teenage Blockhead. Who did you play? Um, what was this guy? Matt. Yes. Yeah, Matt. Wow. Ooh. I just have a good memory Whoa, for stuff. I'm old. <laughs> but I, don't worry, I got there. It took me seconds, okay. but I got I there. I used to, like, live in the past. Now I don't. Um, and I played CB's sister, a.k.a. Sally Brown. And so I remember, like, I think I had to, like, knee when the grind was. Yeah. Did, uh, I, did I accidentally hit you You know, once? it's funny when you think about that show. So, like, one, I met one of my best friends, one of my groomsmen uh, doing that show, Aton. Uh, and we're, he's good. And we're, our friend, our Facebook friendship anniversary came up the other day. And the first picture of the first time Aton and I had, you know, were together in a picture was just me, like, being menacing toward him, <laughs> you know, and, and, like, and like, my jersey. And photo. he was, it was so funny. And, like, yeah. you know, and just, like, how depraved that show was. And it was me and Aton, all these girls who still, you know, still are friends to this day and we're all married and different now and it's great but anyway the brandon thing yes um so brandon i it might have been a myspace post like this is how this is where we're going back yeah brandon posts about getting into pace mm-hmm. university so like mind you i'm a city kid i grew up here and i did not know about pace i forgot i applied to pace when i got it um so at the time i had already auditioned and like called back for at marymount mm-hmm. uh in fordham and where else i had already been at that point uh, maybe, maybe NYU also. I was just, I was going anywhere that would see me, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn College, mm-hmm. or, you know, all, all places with good programs, like thinking anywhere, even if I do just one more year somewhere else and then transfer. That was, that was what I was thinking. And it was, where I was like, I said to myself, if Brandon, if I was like a little at the time, because he was, you know, you hierarchy of high school juniors and seniors, whatever, I was like, if Brandon uh, is considering going to pace and he's disenthused about it he's the most talented musical theater kid i know this must be a great program so i applied like an hour later mm-hmm. i got an audition you know, I, mind you i'm still in boston when this happens yeah i get like one of those waitlisted uh auditions mm-hmm. maybe maybe a day later you know like really really no notice mm-hmm. i get an email from grant mm-hmm. from professor kretchik yes 
And I took the Chinatown bus for $15, the Feng Wah, from Boston to New, you know, from Boston to New York. Uh, had my audition the very next day. I remember being so nervous to meet this Professor Kretschuk, uh, and then became one of the more you know influential teachers and friends in my my young life. Uh, and I had uh, literally less than forty eight hours to prepare. You know, I think it was like contrasting monologues, whatever it is that you know you were doing at college at that time. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking in thinking, I can't believe I've been here my whole life, meaning the city. And I was terrified because I got so lost on the way down there. Like, well, it's a financial district. Yeah, like downtown is down so there? confused. And I really had no one, a lot of those of us who grew up here really hadn't spent any time down there since like pre-9-11. And that puts me at yeah. 12. And so going there as an 18-year-old, like I, I felt like such a New York fraud. Uh, so I was maybe 15 minutes late. Uh, and Grant was very Grant about me being 15 minutes late. That was my first introduction with mm-hmm. him. And I did... You know, I did both. You know, I did both my pieces. He gave me some feedback. I did them again. He had really kind but constructive things to say to me, and he said something along the lines of, "There might be only one spot left, and I'm seeing like 25 of you today." Mm-hmm. You know, um, because I, the way I was able to get in there was because the, it was auditions just for transfers. Mm between sophomores, juniors, and seniors, but just transfer students. So mm-hmm. they still had to allow some of those into the yeah. program. Uh, so we're going, let's just call it a Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I apply, because I see Brandon's mm-hmm. MySpace post, Yeah. Uh, I find out I get the audition on Tuesday in, while in Boston. I take the bus down and do it on Wednesday. On Friday, I found out I got in. Wow. And quick. Yeah, I basically had to change my whole life because I was already in a new apartment in Boston. You know, I had to. Mm-hmm. I was getting out of my first lease. You know, I was 18. Mm-hmm. Like, what did I know about any of those things? I had already missed the ability to dorm at school I, at Pace. I mm-hmm. also knew that I wasn't really interested in that because I was kind of, you know, go, not going as an upperclassman, but didn't really want to, yeah. you know, be a dorming freshman and like had to, you know, apartment hunt in New York and had no less than no money. And it was just one of the more remarkable times that I made it work if I think about it. Well, if there was any way to use your experience in your acting career than that, yeah, I don't know what else. Yeah, it was great, and honestly, I've never looked back. You know, my from my first day at Pace on, it's the best decision I made as a young person or as a younger person, Mm -hmm. uh, because it's given. I mean, it's given. I could kind of look at my life pre-Pace and Mm post-Pace, you know, and like that whole germination of that process, like where my the starting point from where like my world is expanded into its current form, Mm -hmm. you know, like my my very best friends, a lot of my working relationships Mm -hmm. things that are directly or indirectly involved with my life now kind of all have their roots in Mm -hmm. having come here to go to pace can you tell me like the best and the worst experiences you had at pace uh yeah absolutely and i just want to preface by saying and i say this every podcast when we talk about this everybody's experience is different Everybody knows my senior year yeah. experience. Yeah, well, I also think there's difference in eras, right, mm-hmm. now. So, like, from, you know, the other side of my life where I see, you know, on the producerial side of my life, where I see kids that have, you know, pace on their resume mm-hmm. now or kids coming out of pace. It's like, oh, man, you're a pace. Like, you yeah. must be, Top you know, notch. you know, a 10 out of 10. When we were a pace, the program was still growing. Mm-hmm. So, basically, thank you, kids of today, because we put the program on our back and built You're it for welcome. you. We had rehearsals in mop closets that became your, you know, your vocal studios. Oh, yeah. You know how many, like, rehearsals that I had to do in, like, classrooms for how I learned to yeah, drive? Yeah, or just, yeah. you know, just always being in the hallway. Yeah. You know? I auditioned people. Where did I audition people? I actually remember bringing 
there was a late auditioner. I already, like, have the cast set. But I'm the type of person who's like, if I have the cast set, but then this person comes in, and I think they're better for this role, then I'll switch the casting. I had her come to my apartment building. <laughs> yeah, which I'm I don't like, know if that would be allowed today. <laughs> no, no, no. It wasn't in my apartment. It was, like, in a stairwell. Like, we had a very fancy apartment building downtown. Yeah. I lived with, like, my current roommate and somebody else. And I think it used to be, like, a law office, so there was, like, an open air. Were you at John Street? Or no, it was Maiden Lane. Oh, oh every, there was a lot of opera. Everyone was at Maiden Lane. Lane. Um, and there was, like, this huge, like, open air section where they had, like, stairs going up, so I auditioned her there. Yeah. Yeah. That's she didn't awesome. get into the show. <laughs> no. Yeah. And then I remember auditioning somebody for my soon directing festival show, like, outside on the street. Mm-hmm. Because they only had like a couple of minutes to audition for me, so I'm like, I'll meet you before your class. Yeah, but even that with the student yeah. directing thing, some of my best experiences there. Mm-hmm. Remember Studio Five Hundred One, like when mm-hmm. we got like our own space in the big building. I'm not talking about that because <laughs> I did not have a good experience. Oh, with that I had one. great, I had great experiences in Five Hundred One. Again, everybody has different experiences. So I guess okay. So if we're comparing errors, I still think I got a great acting education. There. Yeah. I, and I'm sure the program, I know for a fact, actually, because I've gone back there to speak a little bit, I know the program has expanded to really give a fuller mm-hmm. how to be a, how to be an actor yeah. education as opposed to just becoming a good actor yeah. because those are two very different things. Mm-hmm. So and what's I, great about, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but what's great ahead. about Pace 2 is that they let you audition. You, I was just, just going to say that. Yeah, they let you audition outside and yeah. there's a lot of people who are like somebody who just got cast in the revival of Carolina change yeah. is a pace senior i think and yeah, she was it's... in dear urban hansen yeah. when she was a freshman she played the lead in Carolina change i only know this from reading the article about it <laughs> yeah, yeah no but that but that type of stuff makes a difference and i remember that being a giant decision factor for me mm-hmm. about pace of the, not only allowing but encouraging you to mm-hmm. and giving you room in your schedule to actually go work and you know yeah. i started auditioning my outside the program like my second semester at mm-hmm. pace you know and i and i worked a decent amount um and pace was always very accommodating mm-hmm. to that and accommodating to my yeah. schedule and now even more so because when, when we were there what there was three majors and now there's like 18 you know, there's every discipline of uh, yeah. of acting for film and tv and voice and commercials and dance and yeah, theater we just and... Had those. i remember when i think i was graduating it like dance just became a minor yeah. correct yeah yeah, that, yeah there, the dance was still not a major when i was there so yeah um, but yeah, they, I mean, they have, so anyway, comparing eras, I think I had a great education there because I really dove into doing as many shows as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't, you know, getting a main stage show obviously felt good when you were, you know, uh, at well, that I wanted stage to mention life. you and Spring Awakening because it was ah, like right. a year after you and I did Doxy's God. And yeah. I just remember going there and being like, it's going to sound like so cheesy, but deal with it. I don't remember who. I think I was like with Lisa Lamont and we went down oh, to see it. I went to Lisa on the train the other day with yeah. my wife. She's such a sweetheart. I love her. She what like, she's just like a shiny human being. Yeah, she's great. She's just a gem. Anyway, um, I just remember like seeing you as Moritz and just being like so proud. I'm like, oh my god, he's grown up so much. I'm so proud of him. It's <laughs> like you. he grew as an actor. And I was so proud of you. I never you. told you that. No, you didn't. Ten plus makes, years later. Yeah, it makes me feel good now. No, seriously, because like you know we did Doxy's God and it was in. No. I had fun. I mean, I had a great time doing that yeah. show, but it was also kind of easy, you mm-hmm. know, casting for me to do that. Mar Mars, and now again, you know, should you be talking about your work in college as a professional actor? I don't know, but that was one of the, one of the great benefits of Listen, going. A to, learning yeah, experience. that was one of the great benefits of going to a school and a school like that. That it allowed you to at least feel somewhat confident going after like against type yeah. roles, and I could trace a lot of my journey as an actor 
and whatever skills I now have mm-hmm. to two productions at pace and both of them mm-hmm. ha- would normally never cast me like New York or LA would never cast me in those roles what was because no. I don't know your college career other than yeah, like well, who should know my college career it was Spring Awakening. Awakening and Bug Tracy Letts' yeah. Bug oh that's right yeah. yeah I couldn't see Bug because that coincided with how I learned to drive yes it did that's why I couldn't do and that's why I didn't go out for how I learned to drive also I didn't see Bug because I knew what it was about and it's just not my type of show to see yeah it's a rough one it's yeah. still the main uh, now I'm actually enough to do it for real and if there's anyone listening out there that wants to put up bug i'm ready give me money to direct the show guys (laughs) well now also the thing is too is like because i'm sure you knew there was like a lot of drama between like my senior year with like the class being divided oh yeah and you know a lot of people thought i didn't see bug because of like who directed it and And i was like no it's just like not my type of show to see you know and I mean, I'm even if I don't like a certain person who doesn't direct something, who directs something, doesn't mean it's going to prevent me from seeing something because my friend's in it. Yeah, that, and if you can't go see work of people you don't always agree with, you won't go see anything. Exactly. In this business. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I will say though, if it deals with Taylor Swift, I definitely will not see it <laughs> or pay money for. It. I mean, I did watch her Netflix documentary. But I refuse to pay money to see cats. Yeah, it looks kind of interesting. Also, this is a great mug, by the way. You guys can't yeah. see this, but she has a Spring Awakening mug out for me. It's the Revival one because yeah. our guest last week had the original. And I picked this one because Dom actually produced it. I co-produced it. I was co-produced one of the producers. It, one of the producers, which again, we'll get into. Yeah. But but talk about you know nice, I've had a couple of nice full circle you know from pace and even from high school moments of mm-hmm. shows that I did in college and then work on to some degree professionally you know mm-hmm. to work on on Broadway so it's a nice you know, yeah. connective tissue there. That's awesome. So you graduate. So after graduation, were you still like steadily working and getting jobs through pace? Like when you graduated, what no. happened? So when I was a senior, I. I booked a, a feature film that paid well and it was a good role and I was working with, you know, one Academy Award nominee and a Golden you, Globe winner. You can name drop. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, I made the the young, cocky mistake of thinking, oh, once you book a couple of things, like it's going to be off to the races. And mind you, throughout the whole time I was in college, I was paying for college and paying to live on my own from being a bartender. Mm-hmm. You know, like there were some acting things that paid well, but mostly it was bartending. And I remember leaving college thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I would have to, you know, be able to stop this revival job. I wrong. It was so, so wrong about that. And then, you know, the, the world has kind of changed the last 10 so years. So then why and... don't we talk about that? Because I mentioned it earlier. So um, Dom and I are friends on Facebook. Yes, I stalk him sometimes. <laughs> Beautiful wedding, by the way, in Mexico. Oh, thank and your you. wife is stunning. Inside and out. Just, the, the best she is, looks like the, the best decision I've ever made. Good. I'm happy. Thank you. Yay. I don't have the applause. Out I'm sorry. What's her name? Emily. I hope to meet her one day. I hope so too. Yeah, it'll happen. It'll be great when you win your Oscar. <laughs> be like Dom. Anyway, so Dom posted this thing because you still bartend. Yes. Yeah, yeah, two nights a week. Can I? Do you not want to say where? Yeah, at the uh, a place called the a cocktail, a really nice cocktail bar and restaurant called the Grange in Harlem. Yeah, go check it out, guys. Anyway, so you mentioned that. Because you're in The Irishman. Yes. In the in the movies, nominated for what, 10 Academy Awards? Yeah, Award, 10, yeah. Which we will get into. Dom and I actually talked about it for a little bit before we even started recording. So, And that's where the other thing comes into place, where the Oscars is the holiest day of the year for me. So we will talk about it. I will give my predictions. Um, so you mentioned that you were... Um, oh my God, what's the word? I'm having a brain fart. 
recognized behind oh, the bar. Right. And people were like, well, you're in this big movie. Yeah, like, I can say, I mean, so... it is a big movie, but I'm only in, I only have two yeah. scenes in this thing. But they are, they do kind of stand know, out. people don't realize, like, you could be in this big movie and have, like, a line or whatever, but that doesn't mean that, like, the next day you're going to yeah, have... No. Especially because no, there was just over two years between shooting the movie and the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you do in the meantime? And I looked at the IMDb, and that cast is, like, the yeah. longest cast I've ever oh, seen in yeah, my no, life. It's crazy. Uh, so, to be, I mean, that would be something I could be proud of for the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, the... But let me just really quickly say what you said in your post. And they said, like, oh, well, you know, you were in this movie. You know, why are you bartending? And you said, but you didn't say this to them, but you posted on Facebook, like, a few, I still have student loans. Not pretty much like that. <laughs> yeah. But, and I thought that was so great. And I was like, I really want to get Dom on the podcast to talk about that because I think that's so important that, you know, just because you think you have this big break doesn't mean that you're going to be, you could be a working actor and you can still have some money in the bank, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're this huge, yeah, like, million no, dollar but, actor. I, but I also think that's a product of, you know, the era and time that we're living in. And I've done, I've booked a couple of nice jobs since Irishman. I've probably done half I'm a dozen films since. I'm very Susan. Susan. hilarious. Oh, you know, I have a, a couple of really good scenes in, all one, largely one-on-one with Sean Hayes, you know, who's one, I think, one of the great comic actors, period, of the last generation or two. Mm-hmm. You know, and Allison Janney's in it, Matthew Broderick. My name Doppelganger. You know, <laughs> your name Doppelganger. Yeah. Margot Martindale, Danny Johnson. The cast is crazy. Like, dude, when I showed up and on the call sheet, it was Sean Hayes, Matthew Broderick, and me. You know, like that, you know, that is a good feeling, but still, you know, people think you, 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 you book this one thing or because of, you know, really social media is kind of the point I want to get to that. Like I made like a few hundred bucks a day mm-hmm. on there and that's it. Then the job is done. You know, yeah. you know, there's, especially when you're working with the exception of something like Irishman, which, you know, that, that paid well, but you know, most films today are made independently and then picked up. Yeah. So unless you're the marquee name, and you just unless had you're a the film got picked up too. Yeah, which I, I had nothing to do with producing. I was just yeah. in it. That's called Sarah Q. Uh, John Gallagher. Sarah Q. Who is not to be uh, mistaken for John Gallagher Jr. Yeah, yes. not John Gallagher Jr. But John Gallagher is the original John Gallagher. I mean, he's you know a New York institution filmmaking you know forty films over the last forty years mm-hmm. under his belt. But you know, but even something like that, you know, you have you're working with that again. I was working with Academy Award nominees and a good couple of scenes and scenes that made the final edit and. Mm-hmm. Having solid dialogue and getting to feel about that, but again, like you know, you make a few hundred, maybe even you know, maybe even reach a thousand, you know, or a little bit more than that. How do you live in New York for a year on that one job? You can't. Yeah. You know, like even even if that job pays your rent for a month, what are you doing the next month? Mm-hmm. And I made the mistake when I was twenty six ish, twenty seven, twenty five, twenty six, uh, when I started, you know, kind of. Pr- all of a sudden producing Broadway, which is nothing that we could talk about or co-producing on Broadway, I should say. I was, you know, forming a company and we uh, all were you know, being lauded with these, you know, with these awards, the first couple of shows that we worked on, still bartending throughout that, you know, still trying to audition as much as I can. Didn't you do, you were a bartender at Latitude or Social? At Latitude and Social and okay. West End, which was all the same company. I Latitude is where I met my wife. You, I just like this immediately came into my head because your old producing partner, I don't know if you want to say yeah. his name or not. Nope. Um, all right. <laughs> Somebody wants to His loss. 
funny. Um, I, you guys did a production of Red Light Winter, right? Yes, yes, and yes. And that getting, was Latitude. And we had the Yeah, and our, you had like owner, some sort of benefit or something? Yeah, the owner of Latitude, the owner of our bar liked us and supported us enough that he paid for like half of the production. But even that was... You know, they were supposed to make a movie of that. With yeah, a bunch of times. Kirsten Dunst and Billy Crudup, I think, right? Um, I think it was like Ben Foster... And then, yeah. like, Mark Ruffalo was going to be a part of it, and now it's just not happening. Yeah, I would love it should to still be. Oh, God, I would sign me up, sign me up right now. I'll too. do it for free. Uh, the Red Light Winter at Pace is actually why I picked doing Red Light Winter. My former yeah. partner was not familiar with the title. What's in that was, let me see if I get this cast right. I like how I'm hard, like, just talking about college. Like, uh, yeah, no, like, I haven't done anything after college uh, except work and, like, see shows. <laughs> um, I think it was Rory, Arno, yeah. and Abby. I think that's correct. Damn. Yeah, because Mike. My best friend Mike, uh, my other the best Paula? friend Mike, yeah, and my, uh, I guess I'm basically just going through my groom's party right now. Mike mm-hmm. and Chris Burt were the understudies in that. Oh, yeah. Um, so so what far, is Mike, Chris Burt doing? Is he, he still acting? He is. He's in London acting up a storm right now Good at a, a Lambda. So yeah, I'm very happy for him. But what's it? Where red with red light winner? Is that where we were on? Yes. Um, former business partner. So all oh, latitude. The bar that yeah. I worked at, the owner put up half the money for us to you know like essentially put up a show. But that was like my, my first, 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 first uh, toe dip into producing. Mm-hmm. But I, first of all, I was twenty two at the time. It was you know just a few months removed from being in college. Which when I say the word producing, I did not know what that meant. Mm-hmm. So let's talk. So we're getting into the producing aspect. So, which is great. So let's talk about, and I think this is how you're beginning to talk about how you got into producing. Yeah. So let's concentrate on that aspect right now, and then if you want to throw in the acting thing here and there, we can. Yeah. So, twenty-two out of college. What's up? So, so again, I'm bartending, and you know, I, I quickly realized my delusions of I've booked a couple of things, so I was going to be a working actor from that day forward. You know, were quickly going by the wayside, uh, and I got a great job at a bar here in Midtown. At the time, it was great anyway, called Latitude, uh, not far from where we are now on Eighth mm-hmm. Avenue. Didn't that close? Which or social? No, bar social depth. Now they're sister bar. And they're, they're obvious, like, a, like a lot of places, you know, the staff is full of artists. And there was one bartender who I'd become kind of friends with who was also a Pace alumni but was a few years older than me. So we didn't really know each other. Who were remained nameless. Yeah, who were remained nameless. And I, I turned to him one day and said, kind of similar to my story of in college, like three months had gone by where I hadn't done any acting. So at the time, that was like, oh, my God, you know. You're talking about like when you were in Boston or when you were in Pace, you didn't do at, any acting? After Pace, when okay. I'm at the bar, yeah. saying like, you know, similar to how, what I felt in the beginning of school, like, oh, my God, six months had gone by and this, like, oh, my God, three months had gone by. It's college. You're doing it every day, you okay. know. Uh, you get to feel like an actor every day. And I said, like, you know, why don't we just like do a show? You know, why don't we just put up a show? Why don't we like just like rent a theater and, you know, like – like steal some lights and like go <laughs> and go do something and he was just like i don't understand what you mean i was like i don't know what i mean i was like how much could like how much could this cost and then you know obviously not referring to like broadway or a commercial off broadway yeah. or in this the millions like off, off, yeah off. yeah um so we we looked into like you know off broadway theaters that would allow non-union or amateur productions uh, um and this was this 45th between 8th and 9th this was right next door to where Kinky Boots was, I forget what it was playing yeah. at the time. Might have been How to Succeed. Uh, so it was pretty like pretty midtown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like like most off or off off Broadway theater should be theater should be a little dingy, but you know nice enough to feel comfortable to invite adults. I feel like to. that works for Red Light Winter. Yeah, it was perfect for Red Light Winter. Yeah. So the thing about you know Latitude sponsoring us, 
we applied for the rights, didn't get them, did it anyway, and then they approved it right before. So all we wanted to do was put up the show for one night. So we had like a, you know, a mutual friend direct. I was only three or four months removed from Pace at this point. So we literally rented a box truck called some old teachers and just stole everything from Pace's theater department. Nice. You know, lighting equipment, sound equipment, a, a couch, like, you know, <laughs> books, whatever. Just, yeah. And so, but it was our intention to just put up the show for one night. And like, it was gangbusters all, you know, just for friends and family. Like this was yeah. even before like Facebook was like kind of, social media was kind of a thing, but not really. Yeah. It was just like, hey, you know, let's take off from the bar for a week, do a show and then go back to our lives as bartenders, you know, yeah. just to feel like actors. So I guess that was me producing because we were putting, I was putting all the pieces together and mm-hmm. hiring the team and a bunch of interns again from Pace, you know, because we were so quickly removed, uh, so recently removed from that era. And... Gangbusters the first night, so the owner of the 45th Street Theater at that point said, oh, you know, it's only Friday if you want to try doing Saturday and Sunday too. So we did, and like we sold out the the weekend, so to speak. Now granted, it was like a 40-seat theater. It wasn't that big of a deal to sell out. But it felt good to put the pieces together for something. Mm-hmm. And I think we did the whole thing for, I don't know, like three grand maybe, mm-hmm. two of which came from the owner of the bar we worked at. The rest of it we paid for, yeah. you know, ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. with like, you know, out of tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we actually ended up making a little money on it. That's great. Which was like, when, when does that happen? So we made like 200 bucks each or whatever it was. But it was like, yeah, like, okay. Sure, club, right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, let's go. That, and my, funnily enough, my, my now wife uh, had moved in with me three or four days before we put up that show. So if you know. How long have you been together? Eight years, over eight years oh. now, almost nine years. Uh, we're married just under a year. But uh, we met, you know, she was a, she was a few years older than me, uh, and I, she was she was it for me the moment I saw her. But that's a whole other conversation. Where did you uh, guys meet? At Latitude, working at Latitude. Nice. She was um, kind of like the head bartender, and cool. we could have a whole other conversation about how we met because that's a great story. You know, uh, and she is much more successful than I am now. Uh, Does she act as well? No, no, no. She is really she is one of the highest ranking women in hospitality in New York now. That's she uh, she is a, a boss in every sense of the word. Well, I work in hospitality, if she's hired. <laughs> she, I mean, especially where she's working now, every, everybody wants to be there. So, but anyway. You'll tell me later. No, I'll tell you later. Um, so the, that was like where the producing kind of bug, I guess, started. Mm-hmm. But it kept no being, yeah, no, sure yeah, but still please, someone cast, someone cast me to go on a production of Bug. Again, if somebody gives me money, yeah. <laughs> I will direct it. So speaking of getting money, so all these things kind of, for me, kind of happened accidentally. And it was always then and now, acting will always be the first thing for me. Mm-hmm. And bizarrely, I've probably made more money acting or performing than I have producing. People think you're a producer, so all of a sudden you have mm-hmm. you have so money, and that's not the case. So why don't you tell the kids at home what a producer actually does? Well, oh, we, could, we could talk five podcasts about this. But let me make it specific to... Don't my worry. first experience. The longest this podcast has ever gone is almost two and a half hours. <laughs> You're fine. Okay. We're only 34 minutes in. Uh, so my my initial experience with producing was largely around raising money. Mm-hmm. Now, let's, let me answer your question more directly. And producers have a bunch of different jobs and responsibilities and skill sets. And that also changes medium to medium. Mm-hmm. And what the word mean changes medium to medium. So... Let's just say on Broadway, and then we'll do film and we'll do TV. Mm-hmm. So on Broadway, everyone above the title is a producer. Mm-hmm. Producer with a capital P. They all share the same billing, the same size font. Uh, so, But the difference is, so behind the scenes, there's the lead producers, 
and then there's co-producers. So the lead producers are always the ones on the top line, mm -hmm. and then there's like a little bit of space between them, and then there's like a bunch of names underneath that are the co-producers, and then they present whatever the title is. Mm -hmm. So co-producers, largely, and that kind of depends on the lead producer you're working for, are the fundraisers who are going out and raising money. Um, now, some of them are just investors themselves, and they're just writing a check, and then they get to be above the title, which I personally kind of struggle with because I think you should have to work hard at it. Uh, and then you get to be involved. So co-producers uh, get to be involved with the sales and marketing and advertising structure of the show. So you're doing, you know, weekly meetings about how you want to build and sell and market the show. And then throughout the run, you're a part of tracking the ticket sales and what initiatives can you do and how what, what should your commercials look like and new merchandise, which you know about and what should all that be. And then the lead you know, producers. Funny, just like really quickly getting yeah. to the merchandise stuff. So having done merch, I mean, this year, November would be 10 years doing it, but I haven't really done it in a very long time. A lot of people think that it's up to like the merch company that comes up with the logos and the designs. We'll come up with stuff, but it's also largely the producers. Yeah, producers are client. So. Yeah. So, you know, we can, because I also worked in the merch office for like a few months, and you can come up with some designs and go to the producers and they'll say no or yes, or they'll tell you what they want. Like, I remember I did merch for Clybourne Park and everything was white right. or beige. Yeah, that's and, definitely a producer choice. Yeah, that was a producer's choice. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's up to the merch company. It's really the producers have a large say in it. No, yeah, and you're really only as good as your client is, speaking from like the advertising or marketing side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to hire the best people to do what they do to the best of their ability, mm -hmm. but you're really going off of what the producer has to say. So now when I say that, I genuinely generally mean the lead producers. Mm -hmm. uh, so lead producer is like both the CEO you know, both the chief financial executive and the chief creative executive. You know, the finding a lead producer is the first or second step of getting something made, depending on how you look at it. Meaning like there's a script mm -hmm. or there's an idea of a script and the very, very first thing you need is a lead producer to bring it to mm -hmm. fruition. Then that lead producer is going out to co-producers to help raise the money. Mm -hmm. uh, and lead producers are... So every Broadway show is like its own company. Every Broadway show is like starting a new... It, it is starting a new LLC every time. Is it up to the lead producer to decide who's directing the show? Yes, the lead producer does everything. The lead producer hires a director and they, ha they empower the director to make the right choices in the designers and trickle on down. But the lead producer has final say on everything. What about casting? On everything, they're hiring the casting director. Most of the most of the time, though, is particularly for plays, especially in the climate today, where you need a star to, yeah. unless you're at a not-for-profit house, you know, when you need a star to compete commercially. Well, there's also some musicals where you need that too. Like, we'll get the Music Man. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, well, Scott Rudin is also just he's the type of producer, and you know, for, like uh, as a, a few other are on Broadway that their friendships, you know, their personal Rolodex, their phone book is. Mm -hmm you know, who's casting, you know, those big names and, you know, they're paying big money too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's theater. There's producers and co-producers, but everyone is called a producer. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't really care for how people just like throw around that, that word. Like I've, speaking for me personally, I genuinely always feel like I earn it because I'm going out and raising money uh, for nothing. You know, a co-producer on Broadway, that's actually probably the biggest difference. A co-producer on Broadway doesn't make a cent. Unless the show, meaning the investors that they go out to, like the equity investors, recoup 100% of their investment. Mm -hmm. So 90% of the producers on Broadway are working for free. Yeah. And that's why there's very young people, there's very few young people doing it because it's not a young person's game when you need to pay your, you know, pay your have bills every your month. Have any recouped? A lot of them have. Okay, good. 
Um, and now recoup to agree could mean you made 101% of your money back, mm -hmm. or it could mean you made 200, you know? So question for you as a co-producer, let's say something that, cause you are Tony nominated. Yes. Let's say that, uh, one of your shows won a Tony. Yeah. Will you have an actual statue yep. or, oh, okay, cool. Matt Tony winning. Yeah, I have a you know I have a bunch of I have five you know five Tony nominations in my house you know hanging uh, on the wall. Yeah. And with all the way my very first show that won a Tony award. If nothing about what I did on that show was different than what I did as a co-producer, the subsequent dozen. So if it won a Tony, do you but, not have a Tony? Yeah. Award so for it? yeah. So all. The, so, so I was just. So I was an associate producer on okay. a because I was not above the title on that, but only because it was my very 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 first foray and I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. And the show was basically already set, but I essentially did the work that I've done on every show since, mm -hmm. but got above the title credit yeah. for it. I was just new and young and. Mm -hmm. Now I could probably, I might have been taken advantage of, but also I would not have any of the opportunities that I have now if that producer did not allow me mm -hmm. to be a part of that team in yeah. some way. How did you get a part of that team? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a epic journey. So similar to... Do you want to give the abridged version? <laughs> yes. So similar to like the Latitude Social Bars we're talking mm -hmm. about. Same owner, same bar, three three more blocks Are these down. questions like not what you expected? <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. You're like, oh I was my working, God. I was working I'm at a bar. I'm very good at questions. I was working so at a bar called West End, just, you know, three blocks up from Latitude, one block up from Social. West End is actually very good. It's uh, 49th and 8th, Yeah, right? 49th yeah. and 8th. I used uh, to work at the hotel across the street. Yeah, love it there. Still, still, still very good friends with the management and the ownership there. Very good there. food, too. And so I was, you know, it's, it's kind of like everywhere I've bartended, it's, I've always been on Broadway because it's always yeah. been, you know, around me, the you know, district. in the theater yeah. district. Uh, so at that point, like I did that little Red White Winter show. I started like a small not-for-profit theater company that only did one show, whatever it was. But basically what I was With was a, yeah, well, I was a bartender who was an auditioning actor and mm -hmm. you know, sometimes work as an actor, but that's who I was. Yeah. Uh, and at this point I had already been at West End, you know, a year and a half or two years. So mm -hmm. I had regulars and there was a lot of, you know, it's the, mm -hmm. it's the, it's Midtown. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of money, you know, that hangs mm -hmm. out in there. And, and tourists. Yeah and, yeah, and tourists. But I had to let you know, West End found a way to be pretty uh, pretty local for the most part. And I was essentially interning. I was a glorified intern, but doing a lot of work for this Broadway record label uh, that was producing cast albums. So I had a little bit of an in at uh, for a show called Big Fish that was playing at the Neil Simon at the time. Mm -hmm. and I had, starring Norbert Leobus. Yeah, starring Norbert. And I EP'd I that see. album that cast album and so that kind of like that kind of gave me like a little bit of insight into what producing was because i helped get that album made you know from a like a junior executive level position which again i was doing well bartending and acting whatever so basically i worked a hundred hour a week my entire 20s so you know what that's called Hustler. Yeah, yeah, that's what, and everyone who doesn't have a trust fund needs to do that to if succeed here. If my mother here. was here, she would sing your Hustler, baby. <laughs> yes, exactly, yeah, I'm just, yeah. A, just a Brooklyn kid hustling my way to the top. <laughs> so, uh, Big Fish closes. I just want to, like, say really quickly, Dom and I keep moving in our seats to get comfortable, that's the squeaks that you can hear. <laughs> uh, Big Fish closes, and a show is announced uh, all the way mm -hmm. by Rob Schenken, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, starring, starring Brian Cranston. Uh, which would make like a make a pretty big hullabaloo. Uh, it's time in Boston was coming to Broadway, so I know close to nothing about what producing Broadway means at this point. Besides, like I think I have some ins because I made some friends with people who worked on Big Fish, and maybe I could ask them some questions. And I did ask them questions, and it's basically like if you could raise some money, you might be allowed in the door, and then you'll see how much involvement you could have, and then and then and then and then. So all I knew about all the way was. 
it starred Brian Cranston, and at the time, this is like when the final, like the back eight of mm-hmm. Breaking Bad, had, you know, were mm-hmm. playing. So he's arguably the most famous actor in the world at this point. Mm-hmm. And it was written by Rob Shankin, who wrote one of my favorite plays, the Pulitzer Prize-winning um, Kentucky Cycle. And it was about LBJ, and it was about history. So basically everything that interests me was happening yeah. across the street from where I work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so what can I do? I'm Obviously, immediately I think, you know, how can I get in to get seen for this? And at this point, I maybe only had one or two Broadway auditions, so I don't know why I thought I could get seen. But how can I? Oh, wait, they're moving the entire company from the Boston Productions, or they're not. You know what? Understudies. Yeah. But even, you know, even that, the whole like the whole company was moving. Yeah. Um, so it's okay. There's really not an opportunity for me to even, you know, to try to audition for this thing. Also, there's really no age-appropriate role for me or type of appropriate role for me it's like i don't really have the technical expertise or really even an in to try to see if i could intern for or observe on one of the design teams mm-hmm. or is it just like what can i do this is all born of my unhealthy obsession with breaking bad and brian and history in general it's like what can i do it's like oh maybe like i could try to be a producer on this mm-hmm. thing because like i've been producing little like not-for-profit stuff or whatever it is i was like okay um and i you know talked to like the two friends that I had that had any peripheral involvement with Broadway. And I'm now seeing they really weren't because, you know, Broadway is this big and you know everyone. And it was like, so what can I do? They were like, I feel like the show is funded, but if you raise some money, the lead producer, you know, likes money. So maybe you could, you know, go. How do you go about raising that. money? Zero idea at this time. Absolutely zero idea how to mm-hmm. raise money. Uh, I had no money then. I mean, I have maybe have a little bit more money now than I had then, but definitely had no money, no money then and none of my own to put it anyway. And I raised the money from regulars at my bar, people I've been pouring drinks for for a year or mm-hmm. two or three that in, were kind of on my journey with me, you mm-hmm. know, as an actor and as a, you know, creative person, um, yeah. and you know, someone who wants to put the puzzle pieces together for things. And I raised oh, almost $250,000 from wow. a few guys who had just been sitting at the bar, mm-hmm. you know, with me. And uh, how I, so I snuck into Final Dress of all the way. And I knew final dress was happening because I knew the show was in the rehearsal mm-hmm. and I worked across the street. So like, you yeah. know, what's, what's going on. Yeah. I think so I, so I sneak in to final mm-hmm. dress, which was remarkable at the time, considering the security around Cranston or anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. And I know the lead producer's name. Uh, the lead producer is Jeffrey Richards. And he's kind of like this mythological figure at this point. I and mean, he still now is one of the biggest, you know, he's top mm-hmm. five producers yeah. on Broadway of his generation. Um, and it was, it was horrible snowstorm that day and everyone was soaking wet and he was soaking wet and I was, (laughs) I was soaking wet and I was just like, I can't believe this is the guy that, you know, everyone bows down to whatever it is. Cause he just looks so normal. Cause we were all just so disheveled, you know, Mm -hmm. like there was, when you think Broadway, especially the night before, not opening, but the night before first preview, you think everyone was going to be in like tails. Right. Yeah. And now, and he was in like boots and a vest and like trying to, you know, wipe the water out of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, <laughs> I bum rushed him. So this is 25 year old, 24 year old me. So I basically bum rush him and I'm just like, hi, I'm Dom Garufa and Brian Cranston is my favorite actor and I love history and Robert Schenk is one of my favorite playwrights and I know everything about LBJ and I raised $250,000 for your show and I'm an actor and I would really like to be a part of it. And he was just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> was like I was just word vomiting all over the place. And he that just, was like me with Laura Linney the yeah. other night. <laughs> I imagine, and he just he just kind of stared at me. He was just like, "I don't, I don't really understand what you're saying to me right now, kid." But like, my show is about to open tomorrow, and like, I'm here. And also, like, how'd you get here? And I was like, "Oh, I'm friends with a name I made up." <laughs> you know, I'm just just full of lies. Uh, and to to his credit, he brings over his like junior partner at the time, and we exchange information. And he was like, "Just tell him everything you told me," and like, I gotta go. I was like. Okay, 
So to his credit, uh, 10-4, I'll never ever forget it, 10-45 the next day, uh, we get a call. Um, I get the call saying, be at my office at 11 o'clock and explain to me everything that you had to say last night. So I was nowhere near Jeffrey's office at this time. Uh, but I get there at like 11.07 or whatever it is. So he sits me and, like, and my former partner down and he was just like, explain to me. Because when I, especially when I say former partner, we didn't have a company, we didn't have an LLC, we didn't have a whatever. We were just friends who were trying to make some stuff. Like, yeah. you know, we were like, oh, this is my business partner, but yeah. we didn't actually have a business or anything. Yeah. You know, our business we was like, our business was working and then it, getting and then getting trashed after hours. Like that was our business yeah. at the time, you know. And then like maybe we'll do a play. <laughs> like yeah. that was that was as far oh, as wow. that was as far it. as our business plan went. Uh, so he was like, okay, explain to me, you know, how this happened. So I tell him everything I just told you. And to his credit, he says, okay, you will take your money, but for no points, meaning there's no way you can make money on it because, again, you know, mm-hmm. fundraisers make money and the, uh, you know, ones that show us profit. And we can't put you above the title as a producer, but how about how about we give you an associate producer credit? So basically I handed over $250,000 of other people's money for nothing. Mm -hmm. But at the time I genuinely was thinking as big picture then as I do now saying, there's no way this show is not going to be huge. And I didn't even have a frame of reference of the business of Broadway to say that at that point. I just understood as a fan of, you know, what Broadway was. And I understood what Brian Cranston meant at the time. Yeah. And I was like, it still does. Yeah, it still does. And I was like, there's just no way the show is not going to be a giant success. And first preview, I I turned around to everyone who could be, I was like, this is going to win a Tony and this is going to be the biggest thing. And they were like, who is this child to, you know, telling us what this is going to, you know, what this is going to be. Uh, so I hand, I hand over the, uh, these investors' money. It's the first time I learned what that paperwork transaction looks like. Whatever it is, when you get an associate producer credit, mm-hmm. two days later he puts it up on the house board, and like your name is there. Kind of a lot of names away from Cranston's, but but there nonetheless. But you were under Cranston. Yeah, you and were, you were at the bottom. Mm, yeah, and my life, <laughs> and my life, and my life changed. You know, my life changed dramatically from that point on because all of a sudden. Now the biggest question. Did you get to meet Brian Cranston? Oh yeah, no, we became uh, I don't know, we became friends enough that whenever we see each other now, it's nice, and we, you know we could just like the last time I saw him, we were talking about you know baseball playoffs, you know, oh. um, and I say that casually, like it's you know not still not a big deal, but you know he was talk about the more he's the most generous actor I've ever the most generous star I've ever been in their com- to be in the company of, uh, and mind you, so I'll, I'll just I'll just tell you the Brian story and. He also got me my first movie, like, you know, my first movie that I ever worked on was with him. Like, he's a good, he's a good, he good man. He called you up and was like, do this movie with me? Uh, he, t- he told me at the end of All the Way that he was going to be working on, like, this independent feature and that it's going to be a good one and to, like, get involved. And, like, he gave me, like, you know, a heads up about it. Oh, awesome. Um, so throughout the run of All the Way, so I'm just, I'm there every day, like, I wrote the show, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm just having a ball and I shouldn't have been... I shouldn't even be have been to be allowed backstage with no, you know, without you know permission or whatever it was. But I was there every day, like I was running the show, and he totally like bought into it and just, uh, you know, every friend, every investor, every family member that went there brought them backstage, and he he could not have been nicer. So let me explain what the what 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 type of guy he is and how much it's influenced how I behave. Mm-hmm. Or at least I should say how much it's reaffirmed how I want to so behave. So when you win your Oscar, you will thank Brian Cranston. A hundred percent. He uh, is like, instead 100%. of thanking God, I would like to thank well, Brian he, he is God as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> so he's the most famous actor on the planet at this point. Remember what it was like when the final episodes of Breaking Bad were, yeah. were, were, 
were airing. Mm-hmm. Like Al Pacino and Anthony Hopkins had just publicly come out saying Brian Cranston's the great actor of our time. Mm-hmm. So like imagine what that does to one's ego. He's you know in his late fifties. He's making his Broadway debut, leading a cast of twenty something. It's a three hour essentially Shakespearean epic mm-hmm. that would tire out anyone, let alone someone with his level of yeah. notoriety. So he does this three hour show, eight shows a week, is backstage. Uh, with everyone, and now you one, one side of you could even say, well, if people are backstage, they must have some notoriety or reason to be there. They're a friend, they're family, mm-hmm. they're you know friends of the cast or crew, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he's being nice. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just nice. He would really, really talk to people. You brought yeah. your mom, you brought your dad, whatever it is. He would ask questions. He brought someone who's like, I'm a young actor. He, he would give advice. You know, yeah. he would really, really be there with you. And then the most remarkable thing about that was the throngs of human beings waiting for him at the stage door every day. So now, like, chronologically, we're going three-hour show, mm-hmm. half hour, 45 minutes backstage. He would then go do the same thing with everyone outside. Show. Yeah. You know, for an hour, an hour and a half. And he did that eight shows a week for five months. Yeah. You know, and there is that basically... I don't want to say I don't want to say it taught me because I or I like to consider myself someone who's been a decent person. Mm-hmm. But it definitely confirmed for me that no matter what height you reach no matter what your status is there is no reason to conduct yourself with anything other than generosity or kindness and by no means am i saying like you have to be best friend or be completely available Mm -hmm. to everyone all the time that's not what i'm saying either but human to human interaction Mm -hmm. there's just not an excuse to be unkind Mm -hmm. and if he was able to do that everybody else should follow suit i mean believe me i've met my fair share of a-holes at the stage door um and in life Um, But, you know, I think it's really interesting, too, because, you know, if you're a well-known actor, you know, you're thinking the people you work with, you think this, you think that. It's really the people, I feel like, you know, you can't have someone like Jennifer Aniston without fans. Right. You know, and I feel like that's not spoken about enough in Hollywood. Because, I mean, in the music industry it is because those people, because they'll be like, I like to thank the fans. And the award shows, they don't really do that. I mean obviously for whatever reason yeah it seems more transactional in music than it is yeah but like you wouldn't you know the a-list celebrities people like you're not going to have a career if people aren't going to see your movies or watching your tv show and you know i think i don't know if brent cranston feels that way but that could be a part of it you know stage dooring and well that i also think of something like him and then even me to a certain degree like you know i'm some people think like wow dom you're working so much that it must be to me it's you know i'm still not supporting myself 100%. I am maybe like 80% supporting myself as an artist, but still not there just yet. Mm -hmm. So if it happens for me, it'll happen for me in my 30s or my 40s. You know, when I'm really, really, you know, really doing it. <laughs> you know, well, don't ever, don't ever stop. Because one of it your happen. favorite professors in college told me that I'm not going to get cast till I'm older. You know what? I, I think the same person who we're talking about told me that as well. And I've kind of been waiting my entire life to get to my 30s. I even, you know, I always joked as like an 18 or 19 year old, like, I can't wait to be 35. That's really when I'm going to start working. So I got a few years left to that. You know what I've been thinking about lately, though? Yeah. But wait, but on, oh, the, the, on the the Cranston point, mm-hmm. it didn't, he was like, he did Seinfeld and he did whatever it was, but it didn't really happen for him until That's his mid forties with Malcolm in the Middle. But mm-hmm. even still that, he was just the dad on Malcolm in the Middle. I think people forget that he was Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, was Emmy nominated, show. by the way. Yeah. So that was when he started, well, and this is him telling me this. Mm-hmm. That was when he started, by season two, he was making enough money to be, all right, cool, I'm set now. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to go on that show, how, had however many season run. Mm-hmm. You know, especially network TV money at the time. Like, that was, you know, 
where he was really like, okay, cool, I can support my family, I can have a nice house, I'm gonna, yeah. I don't really have to stress retiring so much, you know, whatever it is, I'm making, you know, making yeah. good money now. But even then, he was just the dad from Malcolm in the Middle, and then, yeah. you know, then that hard shift to yeah. Breaking Bad, money aside, which obviously, you know, he'll think about what it's like to be the star of the greatest drama ever. Um, his real fame and notoriety happened to him in his fifties. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's why he handles himself such with such. He handles himself with such yeah. couth and grace, and yeah. you know, just such a kind demeanor. Mm-hmm. You know, and we should all act like that. Yeah, just be kind to people. Don't yeah. be an asshole. Yeah, because I know a lot of. Let's, I hate to use the term like B and C listers, but let's just like you, you know, working act. You know, actors that you know their faces and they work or blah blah blah, but they're not you know major A list star, you and they all suck. Dom, you can say whatever you want to on this podcast. <laughs> you can name drop. You can cut yeah. somebody out. Yeah, I, I met care. a lot of pieces of shit that are B C B B list yeah. actors. You know, I feel like oh. It's funny oh, too. do you know who I am or who I'm friend or what I'm working I on? I just, Shut up. I feel like there's some people. I have a, a guy friend of mine who was on this podcast. He was I think like a third guest, a second guest. Very nice. He and I are still very good friends. If it wasn't that long ago, but you know, it's interesting because you'll meet some actors who are very like intellectual and talk to you about things, and they're just like an obnoxious intellectual. Yeah. And then they'll have people who are like, "I'm an actor." Da, da, da. He's not like that. He'll have like an intellectual conversation with you about a show, but he's not obnoxious like it. You yeah. know what I mean? There's some people who's like, "I'm an actor, and I feel this way," and yeah, those people so... just annoy the fuck out. Of me. Yeah, and that's true basically across any discipline in the arts. You know, like I. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've recently worked with a director that he, while he might be a, he actually might be a genius. I don't know. I've never met anyone who loves the sound of his own voice so much. It's not Martin Scorsese. No, 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 no. Uh, no, and I should say an unknown genius, you know, like an up-and-coming director. We don't have to name-drop certain names. Yeah, and it's just like, I get the intellectual vision you have here, Mm -hmm. but also can we just work, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. We're just going to sit in silence for a moment. <laughs> yes. But that's why, genuinely, there's, with, I guess, a moment of silence is because just, like, shut up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> just, like, know when to stop talking and yeah. let's get to work. Yeah. I can sometimes be like that at work when I'm just talking about theater to someone. I'm like, oh, my God, this show, it's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'll, like, drop theater knowledge on them and they'll get, like, really excited over the prospect of being like, I didn't know that about a show. Yeah. It's very exciting. Well, fun facts are always oh, fun. Oh, I always call them fun facts because yeah. you have people from, like, the middle of nowhere who seen, like, Wicked for the first time. Yeah. And I'd be like, Wicked has been on <laughs> Wicked. 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 No, I'll call my office and be like, I need tickets for Wicked. <laughs> Wicked, hella So let's let's jump ahead because I feel like we've been talking, and you said you can do like twenty podcasts about this. You're always welcome to come back whenever okay. you want Sign to. Me up. No, seriously, it does. You don't even have to win your Oscar yet. As long as you keep this inventive candle lit. Oh yes, the hot freeze candle is lit. Yeah, what is what's going on? Do you on not there? watch Fleabag? Uh, I don't. It's okay. So I this don't. is I don't um, Phoebe Waller yeah. Bridge is like the big So this is um Andrew Scott, aka the priest. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, hot priest. So every podcast I have my hot priest candle lit. Okay, yeah. For those of you at home who can't see what I'm looking at. Oh no, they've seen it on my <laughs> if you go on to the I Theater Enthusiast podcast on Instagram, you will see it on there. And I'm drinking out of my hot priest mug that says Neil, every podcast I do that. <laughs> it's pretty funny. And then every guest has a different mug. 
And like I say in every podcast, I have a fiddler on the roof mug that I hope that somebody who was in that production comes onto the podcast. So All I'm saying is the hot priest who's making eyes at me is making me struggle with my childhood. Listen, I'll just turn him around. <laughs> I'll look in Andrew Scott's vibe. Just, I'm just a Catholic kid from Brooklyn who had things happen. Uh-oh. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. So coming to Broadway, and we also have a part of the podcast called Review It. So if there's like a movie or a show or a TV show that you just watched that you want to review... You can do it. So I'm going to do like a mini review it right now. Um, so the last weekend of January, I saw that musical Sing Street. Ah, yes. That's coming to Broadway. Yes. I know very little about it besides yeah. one of the cast members drinks at my bar. Oh, well, cool. Yeah. Um, it's actually based on a movie. The same guy who wrote and directed Once and Begin Again. And I'm like, they're trying to make up the new Once. Yeah. Um, but the reason you like, oh, your childhood with Kat, because in the, the musical slash movie... The guy ends up going to like a Catholic school and there's a priest. So mm. I really enjoyed it a lot. I don't think it's the next once and I hope it does well on Broadway, but yeah, I don't know I how well it's going to do on Broadway. Yeah. Well, I, from my, from my understanding, there's not like getting real big names attached. So there's I not. want those yeah. shows to do well. Yeah. I want also, just a good piece to be I a good piece. I also just worry about the theater that it's in because yeah, the it's, Lyceum, it's a Lyceum and it's it's a, that theater just eats shows. I don't know if it necessarily, the marquee each shows. The Lyceum, it's just, John Leguizamos calls that side of Broadway the ghetto side of Broadway because yeah. it's 6th Avenue. Um, I don't know how the Princess Diana musical is going to do. Yeah. Um, and I say that because I had a conversation with a guest <laughs> about it today. Um, but I will say, and I mentioned this on the last podcast because my other good friend of mine was on and he's like, if you think I'm a theater nerd, like he's no. 10 times more knowledgeable. He wants to be like a theater historian. And I was saying, like, this season on Broadway is going to be, like, a fucking bloodbath. There, and, you know, because you're in it. Yeah. You know, there's so many new shows coming. Um, I don't... Well, I that, mean, and now we live in a time mm-hmm. where, especially the last three or four seasons, especially, everything waits to open to right before the Tony nominations yeah. come out because that's what, you know, gives you the big ticket ride and where, every, where all the ticket prices go up and the campaigns happen. And you have, I mean, every the last couple of years, this year is probably no different. You want like 16 new shows opening within a, in a three-week it period? It hasn't been like that in a really long time. There's, what, like four Best Musical nominees? Somebody said five the other day, but I think it's four. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's going to be Moulin Rouge, Girl from North Country. Yeah, Girl from the North Country. Um, I can't even think of what else is happening. Um, on Broadway, six. Six. Uh, Rouge is different though because that that did open in the yeah. fall and it that is actually a, opened in the summer. In the summer, yeah, well, the yeah. fall part of the season. Yeah. Well, I um, will say that it's definitely going to win like set design yeah. and lighting and costume. I don't see how it cannot win choreography. Yeah. I would yeah. be shocked. Yeah, well, that end. came in with a huge title and a you yeah. know, well-known cast and all the music I mean, and it I, had reasons why it stays open. I pray to the Tony theater gods that Danny Burstein finally wins his Tony Award. Yeah, absolutely. Because he. I mean, it was also the year of Hamilton that Fiddler yeah. on the Roof was nominated, but he should have won. That was the year I did Spring Awakening. It was ha- mm-hmm. Hamilton. And, you know, I have to say, everything. I really, 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 really loved that production of Spring Awakening. Me too. And it's up there as the most important thing I've ever yeah. worked on, I think. Do you feel a special connection to that, having done that show? Not the musical version in college, but doing like the straight play version of it? Not only did the straight play version in college, I did the original version of the straight play as the first thing I ever booked as a professional actor, quote oh, wow. unquote, while I was at Pace. So Who did you play in that one? Uh, I was George, I want to say. I was, um, I was, um, I was uh, Morris's understudy. And okay. then like, you know, I played one of the boys, one of the guys, yeah. and I was 18. 
whatever it was. So Spring Awakening had like a really big influence and a really big part of my life. I saw that musical a lot in college. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I will say there was like some aspects of the revival I liked a little bit better than the original, but that's not to say that. It felt to me like the show should have always been that. Yeah. Like it just lent itself so nicely to the idea. Well, you know what's interesting? Have you, did you ever see the original production? Of course, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't. I think we talked about it on the podcast that if that show were to open now, it wouldn't be as shocking as it was when it first came on Broadway. No. And I feel like you know every couple of years you have like a Spring Awakening type following. Yeah. So like, you know, it was. Spring Awakening, then it was next to normal, and then it's now Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, and then Be More Chill tried and failed. Yeah, and I think, like, the next one is going to be the musical Six. Yeah, but Six is really interesting just from a producerial standpoint, too. The lead producer is Kevin McCollum, who I think is arguably the most impressive producer of his generation. Uh, Threw the book out to do this. He did... You know, usually, so Broadway is small, out of town, try mm-hmm. a workshop, see if it works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New York industry only readings mm-hmm. and labs and stuff like that to get it there. Out of town tryout where you're uh, smaller, bigger out of town tryout like Chicago or something like that or LA. Yeah, I went to Boston to see and the then, Or Boston and mm-hmm. then Broadway. Uh, but it's, you know, it's the Broadway route. He, Kevin, Kevin Calm, the lead producer of Six, doing productions all over the world of this show which is usually what you want you get your show to Broadway yeah. so that you can do tours yeah. and you can do sit downs and you can ship. do yeah cruise ships again mm-hmm. but that usually happens after Broadway he did yeah. all these things first yeah. so I want him and the show to win just to say hey the rules don't necessarily apply mm-hmm. you know figure out a way to be creative and get it done I have to say when I first found out about the musical because I'm a huge fan of Tudor history um, like one of the things when I went to London three years ago was to see the globe and to see where Anne Boleyn was beheaded. Yeah. Like that was like my top two things I had <laughs> yeah. to do in London. It's awesome. Morbid, but whatever. Um, I laughed my ass off when I first found out about this musical. I'm like, how could this be good? And then next thing you know, it's like, get it. It has this huge following. It's supposed to be absolutely incredible. And I haven't listened to a single piece of music from the show because I don't like going into a show having already listened to, like, the cast album. I mean, Hamilton is different because yeah. Hamilton is, like, in the zeitgeist of the universe. Yeah. So, obviously, I know songs from it and I haven't even seen it yet. But something like Six, I don't want to listen to until I actually see it. And I am seeing it. And I'm very excited yeah, about it. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, I tend to like go, going in having a little bit of knowledge mm-hmm. about things. But I, outside of the historical knowledge that I have for yeah. Six, I don't know anything about the production. Yeah. And, like, I well, really I look forward to seeing it. It's, what I was told is like 80 minutes. It's kind of more like a rock concert. Yeah. Um, I do have a dress that reminds me very much of like being like one of the girls from Six. Yeah, there isn't and, there isn't a lot this season that I'm like, yeah. oh, I can't wait to see. But Six um, is one of the that. revival of Company. Yeah, even that. Like, oh. What else? I have tickets. I have like between like January and May including a concert at the Beacon, I'm seeing 11 things. Interesting. So, so like, I love Katrina Link. You know, mm-hmm. she's going to be magnificent in company. But I don't know, like, I'm not a big, I'm not a giant fan of revivals to begin mm-hmm. with. You know, unless there's something really unique you're going to do with unless it. Unless it's Tom Hiddleston and Betray <laughs> or Spring Awakening. Right, like I said, but those things yeah, were, were really, yeah. really unique you know, it's interesting, too. It. Like, I really... Completely enjoy- different takes. Let's talk about Betrayal really quickly. Uh, so... Harold Pinter is not for everybody. No, I don't love him. Yeah. I don't know enough Pinter pieces. I will say that, and I'm sorry that I keep bringing up college, <laughs> um, but 
I think this was before your time. There was a Pinterest play that they did, and I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, it's definitely not for everyone. Yeah, but it has that I fucking loved Betrayal. Yeah, thank you. So, so that, it made me love and appreciate Pinter more. You want to hear one of my favorite parts about it? Yeah. So I'm with my one of my best friends, who you know, Carrie. And so there's a part of the show where Tom Hiddleston's daughter appears. Yeah. And in that scene, he's just sitting, like, she's sitting on his lap. And Carrie turns to me and she goes, she's so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. He's, do, like, he's doing some of the most profound work of his career. Just but like everyone's sitting, just like, he's so hot. <laughs> like, just Tom. And then, like, that scene where he's just, like, crying. Oh, it was so good. She's I magnificent. loved the last part of the show. I mean, it's, on, it's not on Broadway anymore, guys. I'm not spoiling anything. But, like, that scene where, like, they were holding hands and then, like... Yeah, the final moment. Yeah, you know the final about? moment. Yeah. I can't Because like, it paints the whole... It yeah. sums up everything and then yeah, where they would the eventually go. And, um, and Charlie Cox is magnificent yeah. in this role. I don't remember, who, like, whose hand breaks so off Zari. from hers. Was it Charlie Cox or Tom Hiddleston's? Pretty sure it's Charlie's. Yeah. I just... I thought that part was so great. I love mm. a good directoral moment. Yeah, and even just like the simplicity of that. Like I think yeah. Jamie Lloyd is one on either side of the pond, one of the great directors of his time. Yeah. Uh, he made me love and understand. More importantly, he made me understand Pinter. He made me understand yeah. the point of betrayal. And because yeah. like, I, it's a pretty often revived show. Like yeah. I saw it a couple of years ago with uh, Daniel, Daniel Craig. Craig and Rachel Weisz, and like, who are both terrific. And Rafe Spall, he's yeah. fantastic. And they, like they're I mean, great actors. And I remember just being like, ah. Eh. Yeah. Like, they were great in it, but, like, the show is, like, yeah. eh. You know what's interesting, too? Sometimes but they'll, like, have a show amazing. come to Broadway, and you'll yeah. think it'll be really good because there's a big name in it. Yeah. And it's not that great. Well, I'm also, I'm a, not, naive is the wrong word, but I'm, I still yearn to be idealistic for Broadway, where mm-hmm. the star of the show should be the show, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you happen to have a big name in it, that's a good actor. Like, yeah. for me, Betrayal was kind of that, that... Mm-hmm. Tom and Charlie and Zawi to a certain degree, but Tom and Charlie particularly with you know the whole Marvel thing mm-hmm. happen to be big names, but yeah. they're just great actors. Yeah. But also, you know, it's interesting too is that I don't know about Charlie as much. I I know him from like that movie he did like Stardust or something, mm-hmm. and like him doing the um, Daredevil miniseries. Yeah. I don't really know of his stage career, yeah. but I know that Tom Hiddleston actually has a stage career in London. Yeah. And so, like, to me, it's more annoying when somebody like Julia Roberts yeah. comes to like Broadway life. just to do a show. Yeah. And, I, and that's just also a money play. Yeah. And I have something like Julia Roberts, like, who doesn't love Julia Roberts? Yeah. I have nothing bad about her. But I will say she was the worst part about that show. Yeah. What, what did she do? It was Three, Days of, Rain, Three Days of Rain. Three Days of Rain. With Bradley was... Cooper, who has... Bradley Cooper's got real chops. He has real... He... MFA in acting from Actors Studio has, like, an actual stage career before yeah. he even hit it big in the movies. Yeah. So people, like... Uh, and uh, and does, Paul Rudd, even. Paul Rudd is terrific. Scarlett Johansson's terrific in real life, too. Uh, at least in real life, yeah, on stage. I mean, on stage, at least in my experience with her, I has think been. she. I mean, I've seen her in two things. I feel like I'm just really jaded now from like seeing so many things since I was like five. Mm-hmm. I'm aging myself with how many years. I've seen over a hundred shows in my yeah. lifetime, and awesome. I think it just takes a lot to impress me. 
And that's not to say that somebody isn't really great. It's just I personally have not been blown away by Scarlett Johansson on stage. Mm-hmm. Not have you ever seen that Laura Linney on stage? Um, did you not know my Laura Linney story? Uh, have no, you not, but like, like she's one of the stopped my Facebook. She's one of the oh wait, she's a film act. I mean, obviously everyone knows her for Laura, you know, film and TV. But Dom, like, oh no, this is a theater kid. Clearly, Dom does not know me <laughs> and has not stalked my social media before he came to this podcast. Um, she's my favorite actress. I actually fell in love with her at her inside the actor studio. I met her for the first time when she did Time Stand Still and I cried and she touched my elbows. <laughs> a week ago today, and the playbill is right there. Oh. Signed, I genuinely didn't see that when it's I asked. Okay. Signed by Laura Linney. I was the only person waiting for her at the stage door, which is what? insane to me. But That's there was crime. also an autograph seeker there too. Oh. And I'm messaging my phone like, there's a fucking autograph seeker oh. here. She came out of the stage door. I started crying. Uh, and she was the loveliest. She, she's just so... She came out on stage. I cried. How she didn't win a Tony for Little Foxes is beyond yeah. me. But she also studied at Juilliard. Her yeah. father is or was a playwright. I don't know if he's still with us. But she has a fantastic career. And she's so talented. And she's also one of like the nicest, genuine humans. Sorry, my mic is like falling. Oh. Um... And you also can just tell that she absolutely just loves actors, too. Yeah. I just ugh, I love her so much. That's good to hear. Yeah. I mean, maybe one day you'll work with her. I don't, and I don't know do, if I'll ever be good enough, but... But when you do, Dom, I will go backstage and you will introduce me to Laura Linney. I'll try not to... Do you need, help, you need help with that? Oh, no, I got it, but thank you. For, for those listening, Tani is struggling. Oh, no, we got this, boo. Don't you worry. I don't know if you can hear me say that. We got this, boo. <laughs> so, all right. Is there anything that you... Is there anything that you want to review? That anything you recently saw? Like, did you watch Cheer on Netflix like I, I did and everyone else did? No, but if anyone got to this point in the podcast, is still interested in what I have to say. I kind of this. It's kind of becoming Hopefully a theme. They are. It's kind of becoming a theme in whenever I am fortunate enough to do these interviews or like do some quote unquote press. Uh, I like to talk about the level of influence social media has on us. Yes. So I think I'm mentioned this on another podcast with someone it's interesting too because if you look at certain broadway actors or certain actors who have been on broadway or trying to act and you kind of look at their following and i heard or read or something that apparently people like producers or casting directors want to look at your social media following Is oh that a thing? it's not it's not a thing it's almost the thing especially mm-hmm. um outside of you know, outside of like, say like the ensemble, the chorus and shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that to a certain degree, you know, they still want to go after people that could create their own free marketing, which mm-hmm. I don't really know if I agree with that either, that if people are providing a service for your show, I think you should pay them, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. What I want to talk more about is this was, this is super prevalent whenever I'm out in LA and it has been for a number of years now, but it's really starting to uh, seep into New York's blood, which I thought might not happen because we're supposed to be above the fray you know here for that sort of stuff mm-hmm. but i guess i guess we're not social media the the pressure of it now this is you know societally in general but not mm-hmm. just uh not, not just in our business but i'm trying to you know narrow it down to this you know to to our current subject matter uh, 
it's like you book one job and everyone doesn't understand why you're not just then always in Ibiza mm -hmm. afterwards, you know, like, you know, why your, why your, your life is expected to be one big, beautiful party. Mm -hmm. Or even if you know, you're booking a lot of things and not just, you know, for me who still bartends or has other jobs, I know a lot of actors who work a lot and still have to do something else on the side. Yeah. And it doesn't make that it doesn't make them any less professional, mm -hmm. and not just actors, actors, dancers, choreographers, directors, producers, yeah. who Ooh. still have to do. Sorry, who still have to do. Tom is so strong. He's like breaking. <laughs> just, I'm just, I'm just tearing this kitchen apart right yeah. now. Yeah, he's like my peninsula, as I <laughs> call know, it. You know, who all have who have to do other things like, uh, you know, I, I have a close friend who is on. He is on TV all the time. He is on every network. He's on Netflix. He's on Amazon. He works not all, on cheer though. But not joking. on cheer. Um, he's on television all the time. But he also has a family, he has a wife and two kids and a house and a mortgage, and he has a marketing company on the side, you know, yeah. on the side, or the acting is on the side, however you want to look at it. And I could give three dozen examples of actors that you probably know their name, if not their face for sure, and I know them personally, and they still have to do other stuff. Yeah. So like the pressure of, you know, uh, so of what social media has done to us societally, societally of having to present this I got it all together facade and that there's not life responsibilities that get in the way not like anyone listening who has a trust fund or mommy and daddy pay for everything this is not for you because you don't understand but for the vast majority of us that's just not the case yeah you know and pursuing this business is hard enough to begin with mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to feel shame in earning mm -hmm. somewhere else yeah or even if you can get by as an actor, like where maybe like this year might be the first year that this is really true for me where I could pay all my bills with the money I make as an actor, let alone the producing stuff. 2020 might be that year where I could fully support myself, you know, even though my, you know, my wife has her own great job and, you know, income as well, but really just be a full-time working actor. I won't because I've made this mistake before mm -hmm. where I think it's all going to be okay. Yeah. And I'm still going to keep my, I'm going to keep my two shifts behind, not necessarily the bar work at now, but any bar place, yeah. just to have some sort of other revenue that's consistent. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to be bartending. It could be, it could be, you know, going to work for another producer or do I, or any, you know, anything else it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the cliche of being in a restaurant or a bar, yeah. but like it's okay so that's that's my point i think i'm going to keep bringing this up i went i started a few years ago and now and i hope to not have to bring it up in 10 years and social media has gone away but like just the pressure of what it does to us yeah. and the depression i know it's put me into at times and i'm a, I have a pretty strong constitution and don't really judge myself by other people's mm -hmm. opinions but it's hard it's really hard in the you know the time and the era that we're living in to not judge yourself on get to what you perceive to be somebody else's perfect easy life yeah. and like if you actually peel back that curtain the vast majority of us are all in the shit together yeah you know it's interesting um instagram changed their policy so you can't really like are you talking about not showing likes? Yeah. So that's in beta testing right now. And yeah. I know this because I know someone working on the team for Instagram that's doing that. So I look at her phone and it just really says. Stupid. It what? doesn't tell you the number, but you can still see who liked the post. So if yeah. you have the time, you can literally. She goes through. Like, yes, but I, but I even, I genuinely believe even that I think there's a lot more steps we can go. But just that one small step yeah. of not throwing that number in front of everybody else's faces yeah. will do wonders for like yeah. the American psyche and our soul. And probably encourage people to like your stuff even more yeah. because like I know like for – so I just started doing stories on mm -hmm. Instagram and I sound like I'm 85 but I, did, I don't yeah, – I hate I social media. I So I just started putting them up maybe two or three months ago 
And apparently, I even got Instagram two years ago. I should have had it 10 years ago. And I lost a, a representation once for not having social media, but that's another, another podcast. And, okay. Whatever you want to <laughs> I will get like hundred high hundreds, which is not a high number for a lot of people, but like high hundreds of views on stories from people that never like what I have to post. Mm -hmm. And it's because like that's anonymous, supposedly anonymous. I'm like, you could see it, but the world can't see mm -hmm. that you watch somebody else's story, right? Only yeah. the person seeing it can. And it's like, I, if that could be applied to feeds and posts, I just mm -hmm. think it'll help. I hate to say, like, the young people, like, or the generation yeah, coming. Like, where you're yeah. like, I have an 18-year-old freshman college sister, mm -hmm. and, like, she has grown up in her whole... And she's a smart, articulate, like, just she's, like, a good kid, right? Yeah. And unbiasedly, she's a good kid. Her friends and her world are just consumed yeah. by social media. I have a brother and sister who are 13. I have to say, like, you know... And it has been since she's that age. Is my yeah, point. my sister, she... At 13, though, like, she, what I love, I mean, I love her. I have, like, the loves of my life are my brother and my sister, my niece, yeah. um, I, and my other siblings. But, yeah, anyway. I get it. Um, she just, and what I love about her, too, is, like, she just gets it like I do. And I'm just happy because I feel like she understands that it's not, like, the most important thing. But it should be like, oh, my God. I'm like, no, it's like, you're in the present. Like, put your phone down. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And I have another sister who's like, I remember we were in the car a couple of years ago and she was literally just like always on Snapchat. I'm yeah. like, put your fucking phone away and like live your life. Yeah. And I think it's the younger Because the real world is too. still out there. Yeah. And if you, like, you just don't know how to live in it when you're always But you know, the problem is too down. with that is that that generation doesn't know anything other than that. No. You know? So it's But like, like the pendulum has to swing at some point. It has to swing back to hopefully. sanity. You know, if you have kids, don't give them yeah, phones. Or even just like, how does how does one go on a date now? You know, like just just think through your phone. Like, yeah. Oh my god, I don't even. That's all. That's another podcast. <laughs> my non-existent love life and dating apps. All right, Dom. Other questions for you. Oh, okay. We're still do going. You have, all right. Yeah. No, I told you we can. Do you want to stop? <laughs> oh no, it's okay. I'm good. Let's go potty waddies all day. Let's go potty waddies. Yes. What is your favorite role that you've ever played? Uh, have played or want to play? We're not at that question yet. Okay, that I've ever played. It could be more than one. Uh, did a uh, an independent film called Sarah Q that's coming out soon. Is that the one that just got picked up? Yeah. Um, you want to tell the folks at home a little bit about oh, that? Sarah Q, directed by John Gallagher. It stars uh, Sally Kirkland, Academy Award nominee Sally Kirkland, and Burt Young, Academy Award nominee yeah. as well. Uh, and like most of the cast of The Sopranos, so it was a, it was kind of a cool like Sopranos reunion that happens to be in the small New York indie. And Dom has a scene where he gets kicked out of an acting class. I, I do. I have a bunch of scenes in this with yeah. a good role. Well, that's the only but, one that like... Uh, but I had, a, yeah. I had a great time telling probably my favorite of the Sopranos cast members, Federico Castelluccio, to like fuck off for a full day. Nice. Um, and it was just, I just had so much fun doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and like, it's rare I get to say that now. So that, um, that role, you know, working role wise was a lot of fun for me, but like the most, uh, like in my bones role was an off Broadway play, a true off Broadway play. I did at 59 is 59th a couple of years ago uh, called how alpha learned to love. Um, and my character was Tony and I don't know if I've ever understood or wanted to be in someone's skin longer. Like I did the show for seven weeks mm -hmm. at my favorite off-Broadway theater in the city. So it felt cool to it's be really there. Cool 59 59th. Yeah. You've been, um, yeah. I so, saw a really, really odd so show that, there. That role I did for seven weeks yeah. and I could have done it for seven months or seven yeah. years. Like I Maybe love doing it. Somewhere. I love doing it. You, you never yeah, know. Yeah, you never know. So next question, what's your dream role or goals? 
uh, in the theater. I really am serious. I know I keep talking about something I did when I was 19, but I want to do Peter and Bug professionally. Okay, again, and, I will direct it. <laughs> and I, you know, I want to do Streetcar. You know, I think I know a lot of actors say that, but I just, uh, it's something I want, I want to did do before I age out. Did you see the production they did in Brooklyn? With yeah, them? it was so good. Oh, um, so, so, so I don't do Brooklyn because I'm claustrophobic <laughs> hey, and I don't hey, take the I subways. Hey, I grew up in Brooklyn. You calm down. No, 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 no. Nothing gets it. I, it's just harder for me to get there because I'm claustrophobic and I don't take yeah. the subways. So it was a very big deal that I actually went to see this production because I fucking love Ben Foster. Yeah. And he's, and I think I actually spoke about this on a podcast once. He's so talented, but I feel like he's so underappreciated because mm-hmm. he's not like one of your typical actors who's like out there. Do I think I spoke about this with Stefan actually because he did production again college uh, of Streetcar and College, yeah. and I keep bringing College up because most of the people on this podcast have been from College. college. Yeah. Um, so, but I just and it's interesting too because there's an article where Ben Foster wanted to make his Stanley very ape-like. Yeah, I remember reading that actually. So when you see him doing the show, when he's like hanging on the set piece, or even when she like passes out before he's about to rape her, he's literally like leaning yeah. over her. Yeah, again. it's funny. I remember like, reading this piece. Yeah, and what's interesting too, we saw Vanessa Kirby as Stella, who is now known for playing Margaret, yeah. Princess Margaret in The Crown. Yeah. And no, that yeah, was she's very good a different too. person I saw. I saw a show called The Maids, a part of the Lincoln Center Festival a couple of years ago, and it was Kate Blanchett and Isabelle Huppert and some another actress whose name I can't think of, but she's mm. in like Man from Uncle and she's in Guardians of the Galaxy, so I was getting the two of them confused. So you want to play Stanley one day? Yeah, that's in, in in the theater, and then th- this year actually I booked two films coming up. One, a comedy called Tell the Wet Dog, and mm-hmm. that's a it's the first time I'm ever truly a lead. You know, there's like maybe it's like it's an ensemble piece where there's five leads, but mm-hmm. I'm one of them, and it's a it's a comedy and it's completely against type. And I'm more excited than I have been in maybe ten years to do something. Mm-hmm. And because then I think it's because you're playing a different type. It's so different, so yeah. so different. Uh, and then uh, in the summer, I am uh, I booked a movie called Abandoned Heights that Fred Roos is producing, who produced the the three Godfather movies and mm-hmm. Apocalypse Now and like you know this incredible eighty five year old guy. Uh, I can't right That's now. That's fine. Um, but there are names that you know, mm-hmm. and so the Abandoned Heights is a like a dark thriller noir drama, uh, and my I am playing the young junior detective to the senior retiring detective who is one of the greats ever. To do this, and all of my scenes are with him. Have you worked with him before in a movie that's no. nominated for ten Oscars? No, no. Okay. no, I haven't. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I can't wait to do that. So even that is it filming in New York? Yeah, both are filming in New York. Oh, that's great. Do you travel a lot to LA for work, or is it mostly I, New York based? I would like to go there never if I can. Like the areas outside of LA, like this, like this, the part of the state of Southern, mm-hmm. like Southern California. Yeah. Is terrific, yeah. but LA itself, I shouldn't be allowed to be called a city. And just like I the people like... and I, the actors, I if I would, I love being there for not acting purposes. Like yeah. I have friends and family there yeah. that it's great, but to go be an actor in LA, yeah. I would only go if for a job. Like yeah. hey Dom, you book series, you do this, yeah. you know, you'll you'll be there for at least a year and be able to afford it, and yeah. that I would go. But to go there looking for work, absolutely never. I'm a New York kid through and through. I feel like I would hate LA. Yeah, no, it's the people. It's the, the people yeah. in our business. 
I don't know. I'm actually one of my good friends from college who I love and adore lives out there. So maybe I don't hate everybody. Yeah. Um, so I say this as I am always there because my best friend lives there. But Do I know this best friend? <laughs> no, from, no. Yeah, no. again, from college. <laughs> no, not from college. I was going to ask you something in the midst of you saying something. I don't remember. Uh-oh, I do want to talk Oscars as well. Did you have more of those questions from your loose I leaves? do have friend? more Yeah, let's questions. do that. Let's do that. So um, where do you see yourself in the future? Oh, I know. I, have I should lay questions. down. I should lay down and talk about Listen, this. Listen, take out your pipe, Freud. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> uh, Is that how you smoke? A... Somebody had a when I did Doxy's God that scene where I had to like smoke a pipe. Yeah. Do you remember like Tommy Slavinsky? I think it was <laughs> came up to me after the first. It was like show. That's, that's, that's not how you do it. <laughs> yeah, he's like that's not how you smoke a pipe. Um, I'm like awesome. That's funny. I, when I was doing Red Light Winter, Mike, also from you know, college, my, my, my Mike, my best man who married Emily and I, he was like, that's not how you smoke a cigarette. <laughs> I was like, I've never, I like, I've never, I've never smoked marijuana like, or a cigarette. Like, so. I remember in between like rehearsals and the show, and like previews in this and like the show actually going up, uh, me practicing smoking cigarettes and I just couldn't. It just was the most unnatural thing in the world for yeah. me. I do um, like fake cigarettes. Yeah, when I'm I like... just can't do it. So, but oh, where do I see yeah. myself in 10 years? Yeah. Uh, my dreams kind of changed when I, uh, when I met my wife, I, mm-hmm. I was, I wanted to be single till I was 40, you know? Um, and now like, I, I can't wait to have kids and you know, I just, I love spending time with my wife, you know, yeah. um, who has, she's very independent and has a big job and certainly doesn't need me, uh, which allows me to be the type of actor that I want to be, but I want to be an actor and a producer and a, you know, a, a creator that also, I think a lot of people want this, but I'm really going to strive for it to, to have both, you know, to have a family life and to, you know, be with the, be with the people that matter to me. Um, so maybe that will mean I could only reach a certain level of fame, but mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. You know, I yeah. want to be a working actor. I want to be a working artist. And that means I have to do other things like, you know, produce and write and things of that, you know, things that sort, which I kind of like doing too. Um, that's where I want to be. And I just want to be able to have uh, a nice life. I don't need to be, I don't need to be the biggest thing ever, but mm-hmm. for me, I have to pursue it like mm-hmm. I want to be the, you know, I want to be the rock, you know, and do absolutely everything and do it well. You mean like the actor, the rock? Yeah. Or like a rock. No, like, like no, like person? the rock, like Dwayne American Treasure yeah. Johnson, you know, and pursue being that so that if I fall a few steps short of that, it's still okay. It's important. You can't like shoot for mediocrity, you know, so, I want to shoot to be the very best to and be okay like with. To kind of go with what you're saying, is it important to you to become a well-known actor or are you just happy to be an actor who's just steadily working? It's a hard question because you want to say, no, I'm, no, I'm just here for the art, but in order to work, you, you people need to know who you are, Yeah. you know, so it's a, it's a very fair and a very honest question mm-hmm. and most people probably don't answer it honestly. Yeah. Uh, but work begets work and notoriety begets work, you know? Um, so I would, so, but known is relative. Like there's a lot of actors that we've even discussed today that we know or that New York knows or, you know, like, well, like known actors known. And, so there's a lot of working actors who, cause I, I want to be known to be a reliable hire. Yeah. That's what I want to be known So as. the reason I bring this up is, well, that's also an important Who's question. in like, things that make money. Yeah. So, I mean, do you want to be like a well-known celebrity type, like who can make films or do you want to be like known in the industry, but like I would like to be you well could be known. Like, oh, look, it's that guy from that yeah. movie whose name I don't recognize. Yeah. But you're I would like to be work. well known enough that I can make the stuff I want to make. Okay, that's the that's the the dream for me. Do you think you would be able even now just to go out and make things on your own? 
because a lot of people in the inter- I mean, maybe well, a lot of a lot of stuff I, that I have done, I, I is help at least me helping get it made. You know, yeah. uh, like like Lazy Susan, for instance, I did some producing on that. Uh, well, you know what I think you should you do? got to produce your own work now. A small production of Bug. <laughs> I'll direct it. <laughs> yeah, I'm dead God, serious. Uh... I haven't directed since college, and I've had that itch. I really want to direct The Shape of Things by Neil Labute. Yeah. That's been like my dream show. Yeah. You're more than welcome to did be you, in did it. Did you see it with Paul Rudd? Uh, not Before... the original production. Oh, okay. I actually, so the whole like issue. You keep talking about how old you are, so maybe you saw yeah. it. It was like, it was like 98 you. or 99 or 2000 yeah. or something like that. Thank you for thinking about that. <laughs> you. Uh, we were in college together. Um, no, I, I was supposed to direct it senior year of college and very long, obnoxious, I hate everyone's story later. I didn't get the rights to it. So that's how I ended up doing how I learned to drive. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, like even the summer going into college, like thinking I was directing the show, I saw a reading of it that they yeah. did at the Lord's Hell Theater and had um, Logan Marshall Green as the Paul Rudd character. They had Anna Camp as the Rachel Vice character. Leslie Bibb, I think, did mm-hmm. it. And, like, some other actor, but I'm not 100% sure. But, you know, I, I do really like Neil Butte. I know he's a very controversial playwright. Um but it was a part of his, like, beautiful trilogy. So it was, like, Shape of Things, Fat Pig, and then Reasons to be Pretty, and then Reasons to be Pretty became its own yeah, trilogy. Yeah, I would shows. have to work on all of those. Yeah, well, if you ever want me to direct one of them, <laughs> let me know. Because, again, I'm dying to... I wanted to do The Shape of Things for, like, so badly in college, and I couldn't get the rights because Reasons to be Pretty was coming to Broadway. Mm-hmm. So, and that just I, killed it's me. Funny, I remember that. I remember yeah. that happening for you. Yeah, so that's... But I, listen, I ended up doing How I Learned to Drive, so yeah. worse things have happened. And clearly that had a very profound effect on <laughs> I don't know if it was the show or my fabulous directing. So um, we already, this next question doesn't really mean anything to you because it's like what led you to where you are now, which has been this entire podcast. Yeah. But I want to ask a very important question. What is it that you love about theater? Uh, on the Theater Enthusiast podcast, I'm surprised we are just getting to this. Um, excuse me, but <laughs> there's other things we were discussing, and other things will be coming up shortly. Uh, hearkening back to what I said about still trying to have a little idealism in my very jaded life. Mm-hmm. For me, I truly believe theater has been and will remain the last true art form that could set the world on fire and change it for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we live in this content crazy time now uh and with probably the shortest attention spans in human history mm-hmm. but when theater is done right it, it could change it's the easy joke here but it could change the shape of things yeah so speaking of theater do you have any top going theater experiences i gave you a little homework assignment before you came to this podcast and that was it the most moved i've ever been was i got to, i was very 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 fortunate to be uh, my wife and i to attend the final performance of the uh most of the original cast of hamilton mm-hmm. so like lynn and leslie and philippa's last show i don't i don't know if i'll ever have a feeling in a theater like that again where just everyone was given just everything they had to give mm-hmm. you know uh both, both on stage and in the house you know yeah. like there was just you know with so earned standing o's you know number after number after number like i can't remember a time i've ever experienced that in a theater before just like the the raw emotion of and I've experienced plenty of raw motion theater, but just, you know, what 
what the fellow company members were given to their, mm-hmm. you know, to their leaders, you know, on their, yeah. on their goodbye night. Uh, the first, I got the first time I saw Ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen, mm-hmm. uh, shook me to my core. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I still feel, I could still feel the same way about that now. Um, I actually and worked then, merch for that as I'm sitting here in a Dear Evan Hansen hoodie, but, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Al Pacino were there that day too. Uh, so I got to see the show. Did with they, them. they, they come together or just, they uh, did. And they were like walking to like the aisle where I was like standing and I was like, who's fucking like Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. And then they brought them to like a quote unquote VIP room in the theater. So somebody was like standing there with the wine, like, you mm-hmm. know, the, the cups with the wine in it. And I swear I heard him say, like, oh, I had to get one of those. And I was like, I heard Leonardo DiCaprio talking in person. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Uh, but for that, that, that was just as a, a re- recent fan memories. Mm-hmm. But the, the show mm-hmm. that made me, truly made me think I want to be an actor or I could be an actor was Doubt. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, a high school trip, a high school day trip Did from you Brooklyn. See the original cast? Yeah, to, you know, from, from Brooklyn into the city to see Doubt. Um, See, I'm gonna prove to you how I'm not that old compared to you. And then I got to tell Cherry Jones that when yeah. we did Lifespan of Fact together, yeah. the closing oh, that night, show and is I so fun. and I never, even I'm working on something with somebody or mm-hmm. I'm directly involved, peripherally involved, seeing mm-hmm. on the street. I never go up to other actors and just be like, "Oh my god," you know, mm-hmm. never, ever, ever, ever. The last night of Lifespan, I like I kind of pulled Miss um, Jones Cherry aside, and um, I can call her Cherry because she said I can call her Cherry. I pulled Cherry aside. I was like, just so you know, you're kind of why I'm an actor, and here's why. And told her about my mm-hmm. trip to see Doubt, and it was just such a nice. Do you think he did conversation. it? Conversation. Okay. It depends what age I am. Okay, here's the deal. So I, this is proving to you how I'm not as old as you say. Um, <laughs> I did not get to see the original cast because I was still in high school. Uh, so I saw the revival, cast, the replacement. Mm-hmm. So it was Ron Eldard, whom I loved ever since seeing like a VHS version of him doing Death of a Salesman that they mm-hmm. showed on PBS. Um, and it was Aline Atkins and, um, oh my God, what's her face? I can't think of her name. Uh, uh, Jenna Malone. Ha ha. Uh-huh. And I'm it was still Andrew Maddox who was in it, okay. uh, who won the Tony. So... When I saw the show, I just did not know if he did it. And then the movie came out with Meryl Streep and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Amy Adams and Viola Davis. And the movie made me think that he actually did do it. Yeah, but but I feel like that was exactly what the movie wanted you to think. And the play left it more up to you. But here's the interesting thing, though, is that it's the same playwright and John Patrick Stanley wrote and directed it. Yeah, but shot for shot in the movie could inform your opinion. You know, you don't have to change any dialogue or anything like that. Just yeah. the way it's framed. The movie leans toward he did it. So it makes me just think that he did it in the play then. Yeah. See, I I remember at the time thinking, no way. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when all the scandal stuff started happening a few years later, thinking, like, oh, absolutely. And now yeah. I still, I the still don't know. The play you just, like, don't know. But yeah. I feel like in the movie yeah. you're definitely like. Yeah, but Doubt, Doubt had a yeah. direct and profound mm-hmm. impact on my journey and desire to do this. Yeah. I just... It's such a great play, too. All right, you want to play a game? Sure. Or are you done with this podcast? No, let's play a game. Okay, so we're going to do like a really quick round because, you know, I feel like we've been talking a lot. So this... Okay, but I have to win because no, otherwise it's not a point of playing games. There's no losers in this game. so <laughs> Except for fun... you, you'll be the loser, I'll be the winner, let's go. 
Okay. I'm, I'm always, I am always Beyonce. <laughs> so Brian from The Office, you watch The Office? Yeah, of course. Where he's like, I'm always Beyonce. <laughs> My friend actually got me stickers of The Office right here. Um, so it is, these are all in this Halloween bucket, all famous movie lines said by women. Okay. And you are going to read it however you want to read it. Okay. There are some well-known movies, some I don't know if you know the movies, so we'll maybe do like two. Okay. All right. Let's see. And then we'll edit out the ones I don't know. Okay. It's okay. If you don't know it, just say it. So, <laughs> so, so what's the line? <sighs> Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa? That's from Heather's. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. So let's do one more. Well, no, you have to say it however you want to. You can't just say the line. You're... In this moment, you're an actor, Dom. Oh, oh. So how would Dom, the actor, take a few seconds to figure out your character? Think, what would I say as this person? Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Do I look like Mother Teresa? Ah, beautiful. Okay, well done, Dom. Well done. Cheers. Cheers. Do you want to do one more? Let's do one more. Okay. See, we have fun. We're all just do loud acting, and that sounds like good acting. And what's your line? Oh, come on. No, we can't do this one. Why it's not? because there's no place like home, and there's only one way to say it, like Judy does. There's no place like home. <laughs> okay. You mean like Renee Zellweger? <laughs> oh, hello, gorgeous. This I like. Thank you. Oh, you have a line. <laughs> well, you are Bay, to... after all. When I look at you, I think Bay is where you have to say hello, gorgeous. Oh, thank you. You're away from Sherwood Approved. I'm just joking. All right, Dom. So we didn't get to talk about the Oscars, but that's fine. You had to head out anyway. Yes, and just, you know, we want the Irishman to win. Okay. Um, I don't think it will. It won't because the business hates Netflix, but that will change soon. I don't necessarily agree with that because Laura Dern will most likely win the um, Oscar because I don't really think she has any competition. Sure, she deserves. She also deserves to win. Also, her hair. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I think Nara Shore is terrific. Yeah. I, I do think 1917 should win Best Cinematography. I think I think a couple of it's going to be this or this. I think the only set at this point is pretty much the acting categories. Joe Pesci needs to win Best Supporting Actor. It's the best work of his here's, career. Here's my and... thing about that. I think the only upsets in the acting category, and I'm trying to do this really quickly because I know you have to go, is either going to be Supporting Actor where Brad Pitt doesn't end up winning and it's yeah. going to end up being Pacino or Pesci. Yeah. Or if somehow Adam Driver magically yeah. wins the Oscar. I think Renee Zellweger has no competition. Same thing with Laura Dern. Um, original screenplay, it looks like Parasite might actually win. Mm-hmm. It's been, you know, and I said this earlier on the podcast, you know, the awards season wins sometimes changes. Yeah, so just because something wins doesn't mean that the other one will. Yeah, and it's also not exciting if you just, you know. Yeah, I think Best Picture is going to be 1917, or it could be Parasite. Original. It should win. It should absolutely win Best Foreign Film, but yeah, it's I don't think it should win. I don't think it needs to win Best Picture. I don't know. It's so it's it's either 1917, Parasite, or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Again, I'm trying to talk really fast because I know you had to leave. Yeah. Um, I, if Irishman doesn't win, I want it to be just as a fan. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I think that. Original screenplay might be Parasite or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adapted screenplay for a really long time, I thought it was going to be Pretty Woman. But Jojo Rabbit, as of late, has been winning mm-hmm. some awards for adapted screenplay. So that might actually end yeah, up being the winner. hilarious. Which I still have to see it. But oh, I, no, I, I have, loved it. I have It was so ways. weird. I loved it. I'm also Jewish, so I don't know <laughs> how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, so we think... 
I just want John Travolta to make an appearance and introduce Adina Menzel. Oh. <laughs> but, and I and I totally called that on my Facebook the other day. But I will say that I saw the list of presenters and it doesn't look like he's there unless he's a no. surprise appearance. Um, but with that being said, that's just a really quick, this is what I think the Oscar is going to be. So I would like to thank Dom for coming on oh, to so the podcast. Is there anything else you want to end with? Uh, no, it was just good to see you, pal. You too. Go watch The Irishman on Netflix, three hours and 29 minutes of your life. Yes, I haven't 329 glorious minutes, and then Lazy Susan in theaters April 3rd. I'm not going to lie. I will actually... So, is Sean Hayes playing an actual woman in the Yeah, movie? and he's not a man playing a woman. He's just playing a woman. That's... And it's Allison Janney, Margot Martindale, Matthew Broderick, so Jim Rash. So, it's pretty much me. It, it, it's hilarious. It's a true indie, made on an indie budget, you know, that's I'm getting some attention, getting some excited. love. Sean's a gem. Yeah. Uh, and I'm in it, and I work with my greatest fear in life in it which is sean hayes (laughs) i have a all of my best friend in the movie is a giant like parakeet like a 20 pound you're afraid of birds and i am terrified of birds genuinely lifelong fear like primarily seagulls and seagulls and pigeons and i booked this thing and couldn't tell anyone that i was terrified of working with a bird and then i spent 14 hours a day working with a bird it was freaking horrible (laughs) well i mean if it makes you feel any better allison janney had a bird on her shoulder for most of Itania. Yes, but and she had like a little cute thing and I had like a condor. It was not Well, not listen, okay. you faced your fears and here we are. Yes. So with that being said, um, I know you hate social media, but yes. um, do you want anybody to follow you on Yeah, but it media? can be used for good, like, yes. you know, getting this podcast out there. So yeah, I'm just yeah. a Dom, my, my, my handle is that what you say? Yeah, right? my handle. Your handle. My handle is Dom LaRufa Jr. Mine is at Theater Enthusiast Theater. What is it? I always forget. I think it's at a theater, theater Enthusiast Podcast. Yes. And theater is spelled with an ER. I know. <laughs> Guys, get over it. Okay, so that's it. Dom, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Best of luck on Oscar night. Thank you. Have a good one, guys.